It's been a while since we've done a Kickstarter on the show here. This is AI War 2. It has 696 backers. They're going for uh, quite a bit of money. Yeah, they're only 10%. Yeah, they're going for like $300,000, and they've only got 29K. But they still have 29 days to go. I wasn't uh, so sure about this one. And then I watched the video, and I think I'm all in. Plus, also, day one Linux support, they claim, uh, which I'm a big fan of. So check this out. Okay, when did you last feel proud of winning a game? AI war can be that game. Your fleets are surrounded deep in enemy territory. Come out of nowhere, strike, and then disappear back to your own planets. But do not get cocky. Look, you're trying not to be noticed, and an easy target isn't always a smart target. The AI essentially plays a board game like Risk. You're playing a grand strategic RTS. I love it. If the AI ever decides you're a big enough threat, you're dead. So you basically lay low. You lay low. That is really cool. The first AI war, well, you already know all that. So what's new? Well, there's better performance, better networking, better multi-threading. We're adding modability. The graphics are better, and they're in 3D. And they actually perform better. We're cleaning up the UI and making sure that you can tweak or mod it. We've even added technologies that let you customize your ships. The sense of scale is much larger. Isolated planets, well, they've now become solar systems. Lonely units, are, well, they're now squads. This thing is pretty neat. <laughs> they just took everything up to 11. And something tells me that crowdfunding may be a bigger topic in today's episode of The Unplugged Show. So with that, let's get started. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 166 for October 11th, 2016. Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's feeling a little negative in the freedom dimension. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Hello, Mr. Wes. Hello. We have a great show today. There's going to be a theme that you might notice that'll just sort of pop up as we run through. Look what we did. And of course, we've got our open source project update, some big news. I'm really excited to talk to some of our old friends to cover a few big accomplishments. There is a Whalen story tucked in here. Yep. That I'm excited about, but also, let's get real. Will you get real with me for a moment? Can we I'll get try. Real? Let's do it. We're gonna have to talk about Matei. Things are changing here. Things are things are going big, big league momentum. Huge. Huge. I think there's actually a legitimate transition. Not to just joke around about it, but I think there's actually something massive happening here, and I want to talk about it today. Also, later on in the show, we're gonna run some interviews with an individual named Andy, and Andy. We'll talk about how his company generates new leads by fixing bugs in open source. So they submit bug patches. They see their names on that bug patch. And, oh, i got to work with that company. And they end up getting consulting business. It's a new way to make money with open source that's a lot like the old way with a few tweaks. Using large-scale projects. We'll talk about it in today's Unplugged. So there will be a lot to cover. But before we go any further, it is our duty... To bring in that virtual lug, time appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Happy Christmas. Hello. Hello. Happy Christmas. Yes, hello, everybody. And some of them are uh, joining us in a beer. And we are drinking today vanilla cream. Lights out. An extra stout. This is a hell of a beer, It is a little bit extra. It is a little extra. A hefty 7.7%. And, and, you know, that vanilla cream makes it nice and smooth. It's really a very drinkable beer. Mr. Pope, you'll be drinking a Christmas beer, and we'll be drinking a vanilla cream. I Let think me that's just have another one from Bend, Oregon, too. So yeah, it's another. Just our neighbors in the south. You have you have yet 
to bring – you've only brought local beer, beer so far. I think there was one exception that was in Wyoming. Oh, oh really? was that Melvin. Oh, okay. Which well, was I, very good. I so. like Wyoming, so we'll, we'll, we'll allow We'll let that slide. We yeah. will allow it, yeah. There is much to cover today, and I want to start with one of the uh, interesting updates, and, and, and it really required a huge investment here on the Unplugged program. We had to put in a lot of extra wiring, additional conduit. It's a mess. And uh, unfortunately, if everything works as planned, the next few moments of the show may be absolutely silent, but it's imperative that we get an update from a friend of the show, so we're going to introduce a new feature, the Cone of Silence. The Cone of Silence. Come on, Mr. Ike, step into the cone here. How do you do? Hello, sir. Welcome back to the show. It's been a little while. It has indeed, and I apologize in advance, but my voice is almost completely gone. It's kind of adorable. <laughs> we'll you're, forgive you. You're kind of adorable like that. Uh, so <laughs> I constructed this cone of silence. I don't think any, it's just us. Nobody can hear us in here. And uh, I wanted to get a little update on what you guys are doing over on the Solus Project. I, I noticed some back and forth on Twitter about uh, the Patreon, and I noticed a back and forth about ISOs. What's going on over there, and uh, what secrets do you want to just share between you and I? So uh, this is what we agreed on Twitter earlier on. Like nobody else can hear us, and you know, this is not recorded. Did you not hear? I have the cone yeah. of silence. It's the cone the of silence. It's a silence. private yeah, personal right. moment. It's just completely us Completely confidential. <laughs> okay. oh, oh, there's three of us now. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I snuck in. And under I, the I think uh, Josh might have gotten a key too. Right. I, I think so. Yeah. But <laughs> okay. So like it, it, the room is getting bigger. But okay. Either way, it's uh, totally so private. Recently, we've been building up to the 1.2.1 release, and I know for a lot of people by now, they're probably thinking 1.2.1 has got to be phantomware by now. Um, but it is happening, and now we've got into the last 10%, and the last 10% is always the hardest. Uh, that 90% before, you know, you race through that, you're generating news all the time. So the most recent news for us uh, over the last few days, uh, mainly last night actually, I finished up uh, LVM2 and encryption support in the installer which is something that people have been requesting for a long time. So now in the Solus installer, we can do full disk encryption automatically for them. Oh, that's great. Uh, with, yeah, which is like LVM2 on top of Lux. Uh, it's very, very simple. They can choose to use LVM2, and then they can choose to additionally encrypt it as well. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so that's that literally cool. landed just last night, and about 5 or 6 o'clock this morning, I actually finished the encryption support, so it was a bit of a late night. <laughs> and and while you're sick, nonetheless, too. Yeah, I mean, it was easier to do that than to deal with being sick, to be honest with you. Boy, isn't that uh, the truth? How yeah. how are you feeling like the uh, the crowdfunding's going in Patreon? You know, it's something we've been talking about here behind mm-hmm. the scenes a lot. And I, I've been I've been more and more worried that it might that might not be an, uh, the right platform for a large project, even you know, or a project that wants to become large one day. What what are your experiences so far? Uh, well, I think I'm going to have to agree with you there. I mean, we've had Patreon for a long while. Um, at the moment, I think it's hovering just over 550 bucks a month or something. Now that's been running up for a few months, and basically, I didn't take anything out for for about five or six months now. Uh, just to let it build up, you know, like a rainy day fund. And at the moment, there's like uh, two thousand five hundred in there, so you can kind of, you can kind of see the picture that it does fluctuate quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And you know, it gets to the end of the month, and then suddenly, fifteen, twenty pledges have gone. Um, yeah, so it's not a reliable source of income at all. And uh, five hundred, uh, five hundred and fifty, or whatever it is at the moment, it it's not going to cut it. You know yourself. Um, so, I mean, it's been funded out of my own pocket now for a very long time. Right. So that servers, um, that's even my electric for, you know, I'm running like a, a big Xeon server under my desk here as well. 
Uh, we got several servers. We got the websites, SSL certificates. And then there's the hardware as well. So by no means does it cover it. But it, it's kind of those one of those ones that sold us. We, mm. we never set out to be financially successful. It's just... Well, there was a comment on Twitter earlier on because I was very surprised, but oh my God, Ubuntu uh, actually put a post up asking about the future Linux desktop and was it Solus, which was a bit of a, a, a jaw hit the floor moment. It's like, <laughs> that's oh my God, Ubuntu. Uh, but then someone said, they put it there very well. They said, uh, Solus is now mainstream. It's like, you're kind of right. It, it's not like Solus was a year ago where nobody knew what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone kind of knows what Solus is now. They've all heard about it. So it's one of the the more mainstream Linux distributions. Everyone knows it's for the desktop. Yeah, so it sure has happened comes. fast, though. Yeah, I mean, a lot faster than we intended it to, <laughs> to be honest with you. So that's why we have to add things now. Um, is there, uh, is there uh, I guess, a... Yes, um, any, do you want to just do a plug for the Patreon right, right here since we just mentioned it? Since we might as well, if people are curious about the project, where do they go? Yeah, I mean, if people go to patreon.com forward slash Solus, then you can support one of us poor little devs. You know, like, we get locked in the cage and we get abused thoroughly. So just a few dollars a month and you'll help us to keep the lights on. Yeah, yeah. All right, I relinquish the the cone of silence. It's done. It's done here. Welcome Uh, back, Mumble Room. Wimpy, I kind of wanted to ask you, too, if you don't mind commenting uh, on your thoughts on Patreon as a source for funding an open source project. So I I, I picture maybe the potential audience member being... Somebody who has a project they're working on that does have a, cer- a set amount of users that does have a certain cost to run it, and they want to keep it going and keep it sustainable. How's your experience been with Patreon? Yeah, Patreon has been a positive um, experience, and certainly is responsible for about fifty percent of the uh, money that gets invested into Ubuntu Mate. Oh wow! Um, and then there's the uh, the PayPal um supporters um there's between three and four hundred people um giving some money uh, each month and then we've got some uh corporate sponsorship on top of that as well yeah so it's part of a blend but the patreon is the the amount that you can actually rely on because you know month to month what's going to be coming in yeah and that has been essential in supporting the project when we went through a very popular period where we were paying for all of our hosting and bandwidth and that was expensive. The Patreon, you know, got us through that. Now we've got the sponsorship with Bitemark. All of that money can be pushed towards um, funding uh, development projects now. And so that's the thing I'm most excited about now as we, uh, this month is the last month that we have any overhead from our previous hosting platform and we can benefit fully from the Bitemark sponsorship. That's so that will then so mean cool. that the full, the full crowdfunding or nearly the full crowdfunding, there's a few odds and ends that we have to pay for, but um, a lot of the crowdfunding can now go towards development. Yeah. That's uh, I think that's an interesting way to look at it as it's it's a it's an important part of a blend overall. Right. And uh, it's definitely like it's the number you can see that you're going to you have a good estimation. I mean, there's going to be some there's going to be probably some declines, but you get a good estimation of what you're yeah, maybe like some a little fluctuation bit month to month. Yeah. But you get a, an idea. Yeah. And Very like good. Ike said, you know, keep some money in reserve for um, unexpected 
expenses. Well, let's remember this conversation when we get to the Matei update coming on a little bit later in the yes. show. But before somebody uh, freaks out in the chat room, we're going to do a gaming update because the chat room's losing their crap right now. Oh my gosh, Wes, they're having a panic uh, attack in I mean, there. It's just—it's not our fault. Gabe's been pressuring us. So <laughs> Mad Max is actually shipping on Linux. Hey, the world—I believe it's called uh, the. Uh, um, uh, I, maybe it's just Mad Max. I don't know if it has a sub sub name, but October twentieth. For Linux and the Mac and the Mac, the what is that? Don't I, I don't I'm, I'm I'm not familiar with that. That that might be a version of is that like Windows eight? It's not suitable for gaming, that's for sure. No, you don't play. Oh oh oh, those are those those. All oh, right, that company that used to sell computers. I thought it was called Next. No, I thought they make no, iPhones it's, now. It's, it's, it's the stuff that comes with cheese. But um bum bum. So that's pretty cool. So there you go. There's your uh, October twentieth, uh, one week out heads up about the uh, outlandish post-apocalyptic world of Mad Max. You can go get your hands on it. Uh, and, uh, you know, have some fun, have some fun. I was just poking fun at the Mac. In fact, we're going to, why don't we talk a little bit about the Mac here in a moment. But before we do that, I'm going to mention uh, that I'm, I'm going to be at Meet BSD November 11th through the 12th. So basically 30 days, right? A month from that now. That's great. Yeah. And if you're in the area, it's uh, down by Berkeley. If you're down in that area and want to say hi, let me know. Hit me up on on Twitter. And if you're going to be at Meet BSD, well, you probably should go register. So are you gonna you're gonna bring like a Linux laptop? Oh yeah, dude! Them? I'm bringing Lady Jupes full of all Linux gear. Wow. to the BSD conference. Hell yeah. yeah! Oh yeah! I'm go- I'm not going ashamed. I'm going as a proud. You, Linux would would you think about like uh, putting uh, True OS on one of your laptops or something just to to no. blend in? No, no. I I like my backlighting and my uh, keys <laughs> to work, so I don't have any interest in that. You're but, interested in you know like. Uh, Recent CPU graphics support, those kinds of things. Yeah, no, no. We're uh, just the ability to run an Electron app would be nice. Um, <clears throat> but I actually am really curious to see where their heads are at and how the BSD community does one of these things. Because I've gone to a lot of Linux events, I'm kind of curious to see what the differences are bet- between sure. a Linux community event and a BSD community event. And I think this is the one to go to. It is just from what I've heard a bit coming up. It sounds like it's going to be a wonderful event. And uh, also um, the. Uh, the format is one that I think is is particularly appealing to me as somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience going to these conferences because this is a mixed unconference format where there's scheduled talks and then and there's also just community driven like this is what we care about events. So from your perspective, it's kind of an outsider. It's a, it's a lot more accessible. There's than a lot more to jump into. Technical talks and yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so there you go. So you can find out more at meetbsd.com if you're going to be down in the area. It's at the uh, Clark Kerr campus. I'm probably saying that wrong. It's Clark Kerr or something, uh, which is uh, not – I don't think it's on the actual main UC Berkeley campus. I should probably get that figured out. You should out. get that figured out. Yeah, you're going to have to get there. That's I don't what, know if you realize that. I'm hoping that is that's Hedia what driving? is for. No, I'll drive – I'm going to drive us to about 45 minutes away and then uh, – Listener Ben is being nice enough to let me borrow his car. Oh, really? Oh, there. well, yeah. thank you, Listener Ben. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Ben, he's actually in—he's uh, actually been in the rover log before. So he oh, might, right. Yeah, he might get another appearance in the rover log again. Uh, but uh, so that's sort of my plan, and then um, maybe meet up with folks. I'm just going to be down there for a few days. But mm-hmm. if you're in the Berkeley area and want to hang out and say hi, that could be a lot of fun. So meetbsd.com um, if you want to hang out and chat, and uh, let me know what you think about uh, you know whatever's on your mind. Particularly in the Linux world. DigitalOcean.com, that's what's on my mind. Go there and use our promo code to get a $10 credit. Go over to DigitalOcean.com. And remember, if you use our promo code, it's one word, all lowercase. 
you get yourself a $10 credit, DO unplugged. You apply that $10 credit to your account, and then you could drive their $5 rig two months for free or run one of their hourly machines and just run that balance until you're done with it. It's really kind of cool, and there's, like, no risk there to that. Right. You don't get overages. You don't get, like, it's just they, they'll, they'll turn it off. You stop paying, but that's just fine. Yeah. And it's a great way to try out the DigitalOcean services to see if it works for you. And they have data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany, India. They have a really nice interface to manage all of this. Oh, so it's nice. very simple, but yet very powerful. They have great, powerful machines that will all use SSD storage. They have an interface that rocks, but they have an API that matches. And one of the semi-recent features that I think is really great and answered a lot of people's questions is this block storage. You can attach block storage up to 16 terabytes, all of it, resizable, SSD-backed, super cool. Play with that. And also, you know, I was I had an MB server running up there for a long yeah. time. and. This would be something, I, you know, I don't even have to have something massive, but just like the, like the kids' movie collection so it's available when we're traveling would be wonderful. You know, I've really been enjoying it. It seems like they've, um, they're like, they're picking and choosing, you know, something like AWS or Azure, the bigger cloud platforms, they have a thousand and one features. <laughs> Very complicated. Lots of documentation. Uh, DigitalOcean seems to be taking like the best, like the floating IPs, like the block storage. They're kind of taking the, the best networking. of the bunch. Mm-hmm. And then like, so y- you have the features you need, with, mm-hmm. but in a simple interface, something you can understand and get going in 10 minutes. And it, I mean, less, way, probably way less than that. Probably a minute. Uh, that's, I think that might be why I keep creating droplets is when I just want to try out something I found on GitHub even, and I don't want to bother putting that on my machine for security reasons, for simplicity reasons or whatever. You just don't want to you know, install some more things that you don't need. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I can just spin it up in seconds on DigitalOcean, try it out, and then keep it or destroy and it. And you get that public IP, right? Like, yeah. You don't have to worry about firewalls. You don't have to, yeah. It's just like, boom. Yeah. yeah. Super cool. And they make managing DNS, if you want to go yes. that route, really easy yes, too. And, and adding your SSH keys, all of it's great. All with different Linux droplets you can deploy and enjoy. DigitalOcean.com. Just use our promo code DOUnplugged. That's one word, lowercase. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Unplugged program, DOUnplugged. So we were, uh, <clears throat> we were teasing macOS. And I do actually have something kind of newsworthy to talk about with macOS. But before we get there, <laughs> before just we talk about that. Just a fun little thing. Just an interesting diversion because I've seen this floating around for a couple of weeks now. And you've probably heard of it before, but if you haven't, I think you're going to enjoy this. It's, it's Xenix, and it was Microsoft's Unix back in the day. Microsoft, before they got all DOS happy, first experimented with creating a Unix-based operating system. And they called it Xenix, and it was part of, uh, part of a messy breakup between uh, AT&T and IBM, and so it didn't really work out. But back in the late 1970s, Microsoft entered into an agreement with AT&T Corporation to license Unix from AT&T. While the company didn't sell the OS to anybody in public, it licensed it to other OEMs like Intel, SCO, and Tandy. It's fun to hear that name. (laughs) As Microsoft had to face legal trouble due to the use of the Unix name, the company renamed it and came up with its own Unix distribution. So AT&T licensed Unix um, was passed around to other OEMs as Xenix. However, in the early 1980s, IBM was looking for an OS to power its x86 PC. IBM didn't want to maintain any titles, I'm sorry, any ties with the recently split up AT&T, Xenix was automatically rejected. Bum, bum. To fulfill the tech giant's demand, Microsoft, they scrambled and they bought 86 DOS from a Seattle computer products company and managed to convince IBM to use it in their systems. Slowly, Microsoft began to lose interest in Xenix and then traded the full rights of Xenix to SCO later on, because they were one of the partners. And that is how Microsoft started to create a Unix, 
was almost made at the base of their desktop or operating system. And then system. they went all wrong. But because IBM didn't want to have any ties to AT&T. Boy, those Unix wars sure were messy. They I'm were just, dirty. I mean, we live in such a simpler, more open world. It's, it's, I'm very thankful for I it. I don't think a lot of us have a perspective of how dirty they were. No, right? And I mean, like, you still had all the Unix goodness if you were lucky enough to be able to afford it and have a big enough system to run it on, but mm-hmm. those were different times. Mm-hmm. Back in my day... All right, so now speaking of a, a Unix desktop that doesn't make a very good Unix, Mac OS 10.12 has a broken poll. A broken poll. The, the poll function, which actually breaks things like curl, so curl doesn't work on Mac OS anymore, which that actually does suck quite a bit. That does? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh... Yeah, that sucks. And uh, I thought this uh, first comment from ITP on Hacker News was pretty well put. He says, I can't say I'm surprised. I used to be responsible for the port and upkeep of relatively low-level products on OS X. It was far and away the most troublesome platform. We would frequently run into bugs that had been reported on open radar for years without having been addressed. Offhand, I remember spending the better part of two days trying to understand a bug that was traced to a core routine issue. OS X was just not saving a required register known as... Uh, known and reported for five major versions of the OS. I remember discovering the unnamed semaphores... I remember discovering the unnamed semaphores don't work on OS X... Um, also, I'm not surprised that poll would be broken, nor am I surprised that it was broken again because it's been broken in the past. Right. The only thing that surprised me more is how many people continue to insist that Mac OS, or now, or, or now just Mac OS, uh, is a great Unix. It might be a nice desktop, but it is definitely not a great Unix. And I think that is, I think that is the takeaway point. It might make a great desktop, but don't fool yourself into thinking you're getting a great Unix desktop power workstation or something. It's I not think that. At least part of that is like you know when they when they started building Mac OS X. And for a long time, they they can compete with like what the Unix current or Linux kernel Linux userland was doing, right? And you got this nice UI, you got Photoshop, you got all that on the platform, as well as you could run Bash and curl and all that thing in the shell. But they haven't they haven't spent any time or energy or money on working on that userland on those kind of kernel features like pull or like any of that. And the BSDs, Linux, that we're all moving on and doing more yeah. things. And so suddenly you're like, well. It's, but what's weird about it is they're breaking stuff in their Unix land that they just simply wouldn't touch, wouldn't be broken. But they're they're like they won't just leave it be. They're breaking yeah. it almost proactively, which is super frustrating. And then you com- now I mean, this is this is a segue. But then you combine that with their shocking lack of hardware updates. You start to oh, wonder God. what yeah. is their long term vision for the macOS platform and for their Intel machines. And so it's within that context that our next story comes up. Linus was talking about ARM. He was at a fireside fireside chat. Uh, and he was talking with David Russling, who is the chief technology officer of ARM Tools. And so this guy... He knows ARM. This guy really knows ARM. And so he's asking Linus questions about ARM. And Linus is being very honest. He's like, you know, ARM doesn't really excite me. Which is interesting, too, just given Linus's history with, you know, sure. one Linux and two, his history designing yeah. processor architectures. Kind uh, of stuff. Uh, and he talked about not just because of the instruction set. He says it's more than that. It's, it's the whole ecosystem. So I grabbed just a little bit of the interview so uh, we could hear it here on the show. I'll just play a moment of it. And this is uh, I'll link in the show notes, too, if you want to watch the entire thing. This is no bad thing. Um, do you have a favorite architecture? That's a very obvious question. I mean, uh, x86 is still the one I favor most. And the reason for that is the PC, not because of the architecture. It's because of the infrastructure. It's because it's there and it's open. And uh, it's open in a way that no other architecture is. And uh, it turns out the instruction set and the core of the CPU is not very important. 
and and it's one of those big differentiating factors that people kind of fixate on, but it really doesn't matter very much. I think that's interesting. Yeah. What matters is all the infrastructure around that instruction set, and uh, an x86 right now has all that infrastructure, and it has it at a lot of different levels. ARM obviously has it uh, on the low low end. There's no question that if you're in mobile, you are pretty much ARM, and we can start forgetting about MIPS and, and everybody else. Uh, I've been personally obviously pretty disappointed in ARM, not as an instruction set, although I've had my issues there too, uh, but as a, as a hardware platform, it's still not very pleasant to deal with. And, <laughs> and, and it goes on. He says, of course, you guys know that. You guys are working with ARM all the time. So now we segue from this, talking about ARM, to talking about Wes's $9 computer, the chip, which he's brought into the studio here. So Wes bought the chip, which you might have heard us talk about before, getchip.com. It's the world's first $9 computer. And you got it right here in your hot little hands, Wes. Tell me about it. I just showed up in the mail. I'd been... uh well, it got sent to my old address. So it it's itty-bitty. It is itty-bitty. I also got the uh, HDMI adapter. I've really only plugged it in like a tiny amount. But they do kind of come with like, unlike say like the, the Pi, like they have a little plastic bottom already. So it's kind of, it's like a little more rough and ready yeah, to go. So it came with that plastic bottom? Yep. You didn't add that on, huh? Nope. Huh, that's nice. For nine, did you really pay nine bucks though? Well, no, I paid like $21, I think, uh-huh. with the HDMI output adapter. Oh, Okay. Yeah, so it, it has a, a gigahertz processor, Wi-Fi BGN built in, four gigs of high-speed storage. Is that an SD card that came with it? Is that what, when they say high-speed you know, storage, I, they mean an SD card on the USB bus? Is that high-speed storage? In, I'm not sure. Chip comes with storage on board. Oh. There we go. Yeah, well, there's no need to purchase. So it actually is high-speed storage. <laughs> yes, exactly. Bluetooth 4.0, and uh, yeah, you got it with uh, the HDMI port, and it comes with 512 megabytes of RAM. Anybody in the mumble room got their hands on this thing yet? This chip? I will say, um, well, I don't know what I'm going to quite do with it. I bought it mostly to support it. Oh, go on. Whoa, whoa. I think that was a, hello? I think that was a Cylon. That might have been a Cylon. It might have been a Cylon. We're compromised. That might have been a We're compromised. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Have you seen the pocket chip, though? Their little case around it? I was going to ask you if you were tempted to get that. Yeah, you know, and I have a a friend who has one, and it's pretty cool. It's a, he, uh, he's still kind of learning Linux, but he... It's, it's like a great little platform to have on the bus, you know, playing with Linux. You have a real shell. You can do stuff. It also seems like something that Noah might be interested in, just knowing how much he wants to have a real Linux computer in his back pocket all of the time. That's true. And it, it's not like, you know, it's not like a full laptop or anything, but you could get a lot done. I could imagine doing some SSH and then doing real work or building things or, you know, like bouncing some servers or whatever you need to do. Is it a QWERTY keyboard or is it, uh, it well, no, it's not, it's, well, it has a QWERTY layout. It's like a multifunction keyboard. Yeah. So this would be an obvious thing to do with your chip computer is the pocket chip. So I think that's a really smart move they did. Or is it like, well, we'll just we'll just sell a great accessory for it to give people something to do with it. Uh, and the pocket chip, sixty nine bucks. You know, and I do still like like the Onion Omega stuff that that Alan was talking about. I think that's that's maybe a more interesting platform. But but when this was first coming out, I it seems like an interesting kind of middle ground between you know like the Arduino microcontroller layer and then something more like a Raspberry Pi. This seems more. Um friendly for some reason like mm-hmm. the, the, the the pitch of it is more uh fun toy kind of thing that's you know kind of neat and the, i mean maybe the, maybe that's the maybe that's the uh, pocket chip that's kind of giving me that vibe because it makes it seem more like a game more like a toy uh so if you don't use it if you don't get the pocket chip 
Mm-hmm. What's sort of your use case for something like this? For a nine dollar, I mean, you got a gigahertz and five hundred twelve megs of RAM. I mean, it's a gigahertz arm, but damn, that's amazing for. Even 20 bucks. Yeah. You know, I really don't have a use case yet. So if anyone in the audience has something that you want me to try, I'd be happy to. I'm going to try to find somewhere I can put it around the house. It does have HDMI out, so I will test, like, what does that kind of look like? What can you play with that? Um, it, but it also has the Bluetooth and Wi-Fi built in, so I could see it, you know, if you have uh, any... It does have um, a USB port here, so, like, any kind of sensor or anything else that was integrated over USB that you wanted to put on your network, or, you know, like we were mm. talking about that USB IP kernel support with Linux. God, that'd be great You could for plug that. that right in here, just set it right next to it. If it's That that would be really an interesting use case for it. Tiny remote sensors or remote IP USB could be game changer. But it's, you know, it's the nice thing where it's like you're not writing C++ code and compiling it to run on Arduino. You're, like, it's the Linux user land. That is really cool. Mr. Wiseass, you had a comment. Go ahead. Yeah, I have been pinging to the outside and doing speed tests so it can tweet if my speed sinks below ah. a certain level. So you're kind of keeping an eye on your ISP and kind of getting a little bit of a heads up when they're not delivering what you're paying for. That's pretty clever. Exactly. <laughs> I yeah, can... I like that. Oh, maybe that's why I should do that too. You know, I'm on a at Lady Jupiter. Oh, I wonder, and I would love suggestions on maybe the best tool to, to do this. Or tools, but at Lady Jupiter, it uh, my my internet connection slowly degrades over a period of few days, and it seems to be based on my usage, um, because uh, what what solves it every single time is I reboot the MiFi, I restart the MiFi, I you know pull the battery out, put it back in. Let it boot up, then I then I plug into the cradle point. And I was going to say, is this some sort of traffic shaping? But it doesn't seem like it, no. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if, if it is, and maybe I'm, when I reestablish a connection to the network, it clears. That could be a possibility. Or it is like the operating system on this little MiFi device could be completely falling apart. Right. And running, maybe it's like running out of RAM or whatever. And, and you know, it may be that Wi-Fi's aren't, or MiFi's or whatever, aren't quite designed to, for the throughput that you put through them. Sure. So or there's memory leaks. You know, whatever. I have I have a I'm going to do a video on all of this stuff one day. Oh, I'm, I'm excited. And, but I've just but I'm still building it all out, but I have a WeBoost cellular booster that uh, captures all LTE bands from all that carriers. That is so cool. Brings them into Lady Jupiter and then amplifies them by 60 dB. Yeah, it's awesome. So I can go from one bar to four bars. How big is that? Not big. Not big. Wow. The the, the trickiest thing about it is the 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 antenna that receives the the wireless signals and the little thing in the in Lady Jupiter that's rebroadcasting the signals, the two can never meet. And if the <laughs> if the booster main antenna is even picking up the rebroadcaster, it totally shuts down. Right. Like, yep. It does a feedback, feedback loop, loop and it and just, totally. And, oh and, and in a, in an RV, that is a particular challenge because basically the RV is barely long as the minimum requirements are for these things to be apart. So I have a booster coming into this MiFi. It's blasting it with a bunch of signal, and so when everything's going great, I'll get twenty three megabits maybe on a on a. And I'm you that's know, not bad, especially um, for parking in the boonies. Yeah, exactly. I am. I am. I am on the coast. I am literally on. I am. I walk. I walk. I walk ten minutes, and I'm in the ocean. So I'm like far out in the boonies as it can be. Right. And 
to go from one bar to four is 20 megabits. I was like, oh, God, this is this makes this usable. This is like – I have internet. Yeah. And then a few days into it, I'm get, I'm down to two megabits. Uh, so, uh-huh. of course, stupid Chris, first thing I'm thinking is, is well, maybe my antenna fell down. So I'm climbing back Hardware up on problems, my roof. Yeah, right. I'm troubleshooting You're the connections. You're all the way at layer one. Yeah. I'm, I'm redoing all the connections and still two megabits, two megabits. I'm like – well, shit, this is just as bad as it was before I got the booster. Like, what what the hell's going on here? And then as a part of my troubleshooting, I, I left I, – I did every every piece individually so I could determine what, what was the cause. And, of course, I made sure to troubleshoot the MiFi sort of separately. And sure enough, a uh, huge difference after a clean reboot. And it's better with the booster, but even without the booster, I could get six, seven okay. megabits – and it would go down to like two megabits. And now with the booster, after I reboot, I get to like twenty-two megabits. But so after about five Wi-Fi? days, it I don't know. It's I don't know what's on okay. it. Yeah, uh, I feel like that's one of the last things. Right? It's, it's older, like, I think. We have these weird proprietary little things that join us to the LTE networks. I wonder if like has no experience any of that with his like ThinkPads built in. I don't know. But see, maybe see this is running twenty-four-seven continuously right. for days. Right. Uh, now I the it's way, your gateway. I mean. It's on yeah, and then I have stuff that's all on the land that you know I have stuff that. That determines what goes out over the internet, but the actual connection itself is open and running all the time. Mm-hmm. So I've been wondering if there would be a good open source tool to easily warn me when it's dropped below a certain threshold. So like if I could monitor – but I, I don't want the act of testing it to eat up the precious amount of bandwidth I do have because – over the MiFi, it's not just the speed, but anything that it introduces additional latency or traffic sort of degrades the connection for right. everybody. Right. It's not just it's not the it's not like twenty megabits on a cable connection. Um, so I would love to be able to test that and map it and alert myself when it starts to say get down like the five megabit range or something without having to also without, stress the connection right. all the time. That's a good question. You know, because I've kind of wondered about that too. Like it would be nice to just have that something that makes it really easy to kind of see your graphs of like upstream bandwidth. So I was thinking a Raspberry Pi of types of sorts that would – so I don't know. If anybody has a suggestion, tweet me at Chris LES or something like that that I could run on a Pi or run on or, – or I guess I'm, I could run it on the laptop for I mean because there is always the, uh, the worst case scenario where you run a cron job with a speed test CLI. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just email you like yeah. if the results are below this. But right. it'd be cooler to have something that like also graphs the output, a thresholding, and I mean mm-hmm. you can always send it into something like Graphite or Grafana. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be yeah something that would give me sort of a historical like this is where you're starting to get down. And then maybe you can kind of observe the trends and really figure out what's going on. Those guys over at the Ubuntu podcast have been getting suggestions from their audience on things to do with their pies. So we'll if you have to pick it, up from there, yeah, if one comes your way that sounds like it would maybe uh, solve my my problem. Mr. Popey or Mr. Wimpy, uh, pass it along to me because I'd be really curious to know if there's a, a set of tools out there or even like a, a ready-built distro for network monitoring. That seems like that should be a thing that would run on Ras- with like a Raspberry Pi image or something. Well, we've had a bumper crop of feedback on the Raspberry Pi stuff yeah. Yeah, I, I, for the next episode. Uh, it's great. been okay. running and running for weeks since yeah. we asked for it. Yeah, and the yeah. projects are getting more and more interesting. I will, I will catch the next one then if there's another batch of it. Not that I wasn't going to anyway. Uh, before we go much further, while I'm talking about MiFi's, why not mention my friends over at the Ting Network? Oh, you see how we just did that right there? Sneak it in there. Linux.ting.com. That's where you go to support the show and get the discount. Linux.ting.com will take $25 off your first device or it'll give you $25 in service credit if you bring a device. What's nuts about Ting is their customer service. Uh, they're, they, you know what? I don't, have I ever played this video here on this here show, Wes? This video from the, the Ting customer service? This is, this is what it's like. This, we this, look at it a lot. This but... is what it's like. No, this is the video right here. Thanks for calling Ting. This is Isabel speaking. How can I help you? 
hello? Thanks for calling Ting. This is Isabel speaking. How can I... Hey, this is Isabel at Ting. For service in English, press 1. Para el servicio en español, presione 2. To talk about phones, press 1. To talk about something else, press 2. To speak to an operator, press 0. Please hold while we direct your call to the first available agent. Your time is important to us. Thank you for your patience. Uh, <laughs> I assume they include this in all of their training videos. That's what the people want. Thanks for calling Ting. This is Isabel speaking. How can I help you? Oh, wow. That's quick. <laughs> That's really good. Linux.ting.com. So they have really great customer service. They have a super good dashboard to manage all this. And I don't know if I mentioned it yet. They also have a CDMA and GSM services. That is the most exciting part, right? There. And then no locked devices, no contracts, no early termination fee. I, I think this is super nice because if you want to go a, like really high-end phones, and it's one that after you use it for a bit, you want to be able to hand it down to somebody or, or give it to somebody else, this kind of structure makes the continued viability of a phone like that last way longer than these quote-unquote agreements you get in now with the carriers. Oh, man. So th- and it's way easier to understand. And then the, and then on the uh, Yes. And then on the other spectrum, it's really easy to do like the budget value phones. They just did a blog post for what they call five wise smartphone choices for less than $200. And uh, they, have the li- they have the list broken out here on their blog. Yeah, I feel like the I feel like the Blue Life One X probably doesn't get enough discussion. It's got a 5.2 inch 1080p IPS display with a 424 pixel density, which is actually that is not bad, pretty high end. Yeah, uh, it's got a scratch. It's got Gorilla Glass three scratch resistance too, which is not bad, and a decent camera on it, and it's got uh, full GSM 12 band compatibility, that and it's a, 158 bucks. No contract, no other termination. I, mean, I almost kind of want that just as like a backup phone in case I break my. Yeah, mates, it's six right? like dollars for the line. Yeah, that's and then great. Just your usage. You just just pay for your usage. Check them out. Linux.ting.com and a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Unplugged program. You got to go to Linux.ting.com to get the discount and to support the show. And thank you everybody for doing that. And thanks to Ting for sponsoring us. Holy moly! You know, I did just uh, I did just purchase myself a Pixel. Oh, you did and, you it. You know, I think it'll be running on Ting. Now, did you – so you did the play or did you – What? how did you yep. – did you do that, yeah? Yep. You did the Bought play right from Google. Really? Yep. And one for the wife. Oh, man, I can't – oh, really? Yeah. You really and she's went going – she's moving from iOS. Wow. So that'll be an interesting story that it, as it develops. I'll be, I'll be really curious to hear your feedback on User Error 7, which will come out probably pretty soon. We talk about the pixel yes, in there. Wes putting his marriage on the line there. Yeah, right. Well, hey, that was her, it was her idea. Really? Yes. What pushed her over? Well, I mean, her current iPhone has like damaged screen, kind of a little bit. Like, it's not oh, bad, but it's like she was ready for a new phone. What version of iPhone? But she wasn't uh, iPhone six. So she, oh, okay. I mean, it wasn't a bad phone at all. Yeah. Uh, but she just didn't seem interested in the seven, yeah. and she like yeah. looked at it yeah. and she was like, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I the think... first thing she said was like, this looks like an iPhone. So it's like it's probably this specifically work. an iPhone six actually, exactly, um, with a really tacky two tone back. But yes. other than that, yeah, other than that. <laughs> I actually I'm really curious to hear what you think about the shape because I I think I'm really going to dig that wedge shape. I know I think I am too. It's kind of sexy. Yeah, I, and it's going to probably feel good on the table. So I'll be uh, I'll be living vicariously through you, Mister Wimpy. Uh, you don't happen to have oh I don't know an Ubuntu Touch device still, do you? I do several. And now it, I've I've been negligent in uh, in checking in with you over the last few weeks. I think it's I think we've had like a three week break. 
But how has, so far, your Ubuntu phone experience gone? Popey switched his main driver over – or Popey, I'm sorry, Wimpy. I'm sure Popey has too, actually. I think that's why. Uh, Wimpy switched his main uh, driver. Uh, 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 you don't use it as your main phone? No. <gasps> what? Okay. Well, I want to hear about that too. But let me get back to Wimpy for a second. <laughs> so Wimpy switched his main driver over to Ubuntu Touch. And one of the big areas I wanted to hear about from Wimpy was like, how does it work with managing podcasts and doing your audio in the car? Because right. that's a big, big function that for me in the phone. Agreed. So Wimpy, it's been a few weeks. I've been negligent. Uh, I'm kind of curious why uh, you are uh, – or why I'm kind of curious how it's gone. And then I'll get to Pope and find out, find out why he hasn't been using it. But how is your experience so far the last few weeks since we've chatted? So in terms of all of the, you know, doing the social network stuff and email and looking up websites and all of that sort yeah. of thing, that's all just fine. Is that mostly no native apps or is that web apps? Um, a, mix? a mixture. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it, may, it depends what it is. There's like a native app for Reddit. There's there's native apps for some things and wrapped web apps. But what's happening now is that those wrapped web apps are starting to have – um native elements embedded within them so it's still a web app but it's got more of the native controls integrated mm. with the web experience so that's that's noticeable in things Is like that some of the new twitter apps and the google plus apps does that require and things like that. the well uh, hmm. so google plus are they doing something specifically to enable that on their web app or is this a yeah. new feature yeah. of the yeah, so the the developers of these apps are embedding their own controls that exercise parts of Google Plus to make it feel more like a native application. That's nice to see. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The the new Google Plus app I'm using is very good. Hmm. So it sounds like the ecosystem is really not doing badly at all. It's kind of coming together right before your very eyes. It, it is there, you know. It, it's slowly things are improving. Mm-hmm. Although uh, to your earlier question. If your use case is podcasting in the car, I can't recommend it. How come? Um, the Bluetooth is not reliable enough, and the native podcasting app is not reliable enough at mm. the moment. Mm. So I'm still using my Pocket Cast web app to do my podcast listening. And you're just um, wiring it in? Uh, well... I've had a change in circumstances, so I don't need to oh, right. work That's, with yeah. the car anymore. Right. I just need to uh, get this. I'm a bit old-fashioned. I plug headphones into my <laughs> phone in order to listen to things. Um, headphones, I, I'm not I familiar hear. with that. Is that a new thing? Yeah. No, it's an old thing that's <laughs> you know going out of fashion fast, apparently. Apparently. <laughs> Haven't you heard about lightning already? Come on. So no, how about the really boring stuff like uh, long-term performance? Is it staying fairly consistent and battery life? So battery life, um, it comfortably lasts me a day, although my podcast um, wrapper for Pocket Casts has to force keep the screen on to ensure that the podcast keeps playing. So obviously you're going to take a battery hit if you Mm -hmm. do lots of that without charging in between. Mm -hmm. But if you're not doing that sort of thing, I always have uh, Bluetooth enabled. I have it paired with my two Pebble watches. Um and it's always connected to Wi-Fi and 4G, um, and it comfortably lasts the day. You know, more than comfortably lasts the day. That's wonderful. So, no regrets overall. Um, no regrets. I'm pleased I've done it. Um, I'm cer- I've certainly seen sort of the rough edges, but um, 
I went into this knowing that I was going to encounter rough edges and that I wanted to help t- to identify them and solve them. So, uh, so you know, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. I, I have a question. I, something that seems interesting, like we've talked a lot about it as like a replacement platform ranger. I'm just curious, how much do you use the fact that it's, you know, a little bit more like desktop Linux? Do you do things on the Ubuntu system that might require root on Android or might require weird workarounds on Android that are easier on the Ubuntu system? Um, not really. The only thing I do is, um, on the tablet, I do, um, have that connector. So I've got a, the wireless screen dongle for one of the screens, uh, upstairs and downstairs. And I do use the tablet to, uh, cast the screen to those. And on the phone, I do that occasionally, mostly for the fun factor. Um, but the, the terminal experience is, you know, much more, linux than, <laughs> than right. anything on the other devices so uh i do use that from time to time that's really quite good that's great mm. so the uh the uh, enthusiast in me kind of wishes i uh i just had an extra phone to mess around with right now mm-hmm. that's kind of where i'm at with this so thank for thank you for letting me pick your brain on that when we don't go far because I, I want to talk about uh, a few other things here in a second but i cannot I cannot go any further right now without taking a moment and asking I Poby. I secretly use Arch Linux. Poby, uh, out of anybody in the mumble room that I thought would be using Ubuntu on their phone as their daily driver, I, I, I just, I incorrectly assumed it would be be you. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of curious, maybe why you don't, and I, I hope the answer is not for competitive research because that feels like a cop out. <laughs> don't say it. Uh, so I have. On my desk, mm-hmm. um, sure. a Pro 5 running Ubuntu. Sure. It's always right here on my desk, and I do daily updates. And I use my Pro 5 for podcasting, so I use the native podcast app, Podbird. Um, I don't I, I don't know if I just don't experience the same bugs as Martin does, but it seems to work okay for me for like just playing a show and like playing whatever most recent things I want. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't use it as my daily driver, mainly well for two two main reasons one i have banking apps and other things that sure. they just aren't available on i do have that problem too my phone. bank yeah my bank has uh, has an and app I, and yeah i've and made I have my own apps for that uh, I have a bank. Uh, there's also an app for my kids' bank as well. So we have this whole pocket money thing where the kids can earn money, and, and it's managed through a, a phone app. And I that's I now want to be one of your kids. Only. Yeah, how do we get uh, on that? You don't. Oh man, I'm cracking the whip. I'll send you down the mine or <laughs> the chimneys or something. So you probably don't want to do. Oh, that. okay. Um, I'll trade you some pebbles. Um, and. <laughs> Um, and that's, well, the only other one is WhatsApp for a couple of people, but not many people I talk to are WhatsApp. But yeah, it really is just a few key apps that, um, I can't, I can't use on, um, Ubuntu phone, really. That's mm. the, that's the killer. Um, it is always on. It's always sat here. I'm always carrying it with me, but it's not the one that's got my SIM in it. So if you phone me, it will be my Android phone that rings. It won't be the. So rumor has it you'll be traveling, um, in November. Uh, to a to a canonical event, would that be right. something where you might maybe bring an Ubuntu Touch phone with you for that thing, or do you still bring a different phone? I, I carry multiple phones everywhere I go. Ooh, like I used to be like, there. When I, I sometimes when we go, um, th- there's a, a UK Ubuntu group where we have uh, we meet up every year um, and go on a train where they sell. It's an old steam train Ooh. where they sell. 
beer on the train. All right, it's okay. Called, we call it the beer train. It's gen- it's it's called the real ale train, <laughs> right? And uh, we all go on there and drink beer. But there's a couple of games that we play on Android and on iOS, which you need a, a wireless network. And I pull out my trusty BQE 4.5 and turn on hotspot. And everyone connects to my Ubuntu phone and we're all playing with the Ubuntu phone being my wireless access point. So it has some uses that, you know, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't have another device with me that was battery powered that was a wireless access point that I could just pull out my bag and turn that on and use it. So I use it for some weird niche things. It's just not necessarily the one that will ring if you phone me. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I've definitely done that for a while too. Where I've had phones that are either for testing or when I had, I had for a long time, I had a Blackberry for work. Chris, that's insane. The uh, the other thing is the the camera, the camera app isn't fantastic. It's missing some features, and you know I take a fair number of photos of my kids and my cats, of course, and you know other nonsense. And I need a reliable camera app to do that. I don't want to, I don't want to be that guy in five years' time who doesn't have photos of his kids because he was religiously tied to one phone. Oh you know man, yeah, I mean? that would be that yeah. would be hard. Yeah, yeah. That is, that'd be a tough thing to live with. <laughs> but, I mean, if you're the reason the Ubuntu phone became the next big thing, maybe it's worth it. <laughs> maybe. Um, yeah, okay. This is a good pick. I, I can't not see myself that. running it. <laughs> not a price I'm willing to pay. <laughs> so let's talk about, uh, you know, just, let's, just, let's just talk about the elephant that's been in the room. There is... It's a really pretty elephant. Yeah, there is a, there is a, a trend where uh, I think a lot of times in open source, something gets forked. And we almost have a visceral, immediate reaction to laugh it off. Now, every now and then there's exceptions. I don't know if that necessarily happened when Nextcloud forked, for example. But most of the time, I think if you had heard that the GNOME project has moved on and declared that GNOME 2 is old and busted and that in order to have a desktop of the future, it must be left behind. And a bunch of neckbeards came along and said, well, this will not stand. We're going to fork this GNOME 2 GTK2 desktop. And we're going we're gonna to keep it alive. I think a lot of people would have looked at that. I mean, if, uh, if you remove everything that's happened in the last few years, mm-hmm. and if you just you looked at that concept in its just raw naked form, I think a lot of people say, that's ridiculous. Once again, open source is splitting its resources. Nobody's focusing on the right thing. People are going off in their different camps. And it would be a laughable idea. Yep. Why would you take this old desktop paradigm that's old and busted, that obviously needs to be replaced, which is, again, a bunch of assumptions being made, and, and try to fork it? That's a waste of everybody's time. But yet... Here we are, 2016, and I think the Matei desktop is one of the most relevant desktops in the Linux landscape. I think it's one of the most widely used Linux desktops. It's had, thanks to the Raspberry Pi, a huge surge on lower-end hardware. Massive it's, deployment. It's, it's made a lot of us, It's and since it's launched now, a lot of us go, what? Why do people run XFCE again? I mean, it's, it's literally taken Very that well spot. Said. And... It's about, I believe, I believe it is currently transitioning into a totally different stage. Um, and I think you're going to see a lot of it very soon. When I, you, could, you could probably start beginning to play with a lot of it when Ubuntu 16.10 Matei edition ships. I'll let Wimpy talk about that. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think this will probably be a chance to get to see a lot of this. There's some big things that are coming, including what seems to be essentially a from scratch reworking of Ubuntu Mate uh, uh, to go to GTK3. I mean, this is taking a desktop 
that was designed around a traditional desktop paradigm and technology and moving it to be completely technologically compatible with the latest Linux desktop, in at least for GTK3, while keeping an existing work paradigm that obviously tens of millions of users prefer. Isn't that a fascinating thing? You know, there's clearly there was a, when it was created, there's clearly this, you know, community of people that said like, well, wait, this is, this is still working for us. So it's very interesting to watch it evolve. At first it almost felt like a stick in the mud right. position. Yeah. You know, like a, a anachronism almost, but, but functional, but clearly they're very interested in taking on new technical things. It's just that there's also things they want to keep and refine. It is almost, it is, it is almost, it is almost so obvious in retrospect, that I think we've almost missed what an mm-hmm. interesting transition yeah. this is. And so uh, I, I think uh, there's there's a couple of things happening here. There's work happening upstream with Mate itself that's, a, that's impacting any distro that can run it. And then there's a lot of work specifically going into Ubuntu Mate. And so before I put too many of the wrong uh, concepts out there, I want to just make sure that uh, I, I don't say anything more before I go to Wimpy and say, Wimpy, can you kind of enlighten us as what's going on with this GTK3 transition and why does it matter to end users? And then could you eventually get to where we could end up seeing it? Okay. It's a lot. So, yeah. So Marte was obviously forked from GNOME 2 using mm-hmm. the GTK2 toolkit, and it's been that way for a long, long time. And behind the scenes, GTK3 um, support has been added, and we were getting very close. And... Uh, after the 1604 release, I really wanted to shift to GTK3 because I felt we needed to make that jump. Otherwise, we'd procrastinate and sit on it for longer. And, and uh, so I spoke with the Debian maintainer and the Fedora maintainer back in mm, March, April time. And uh, we agreed a timeline that suited all three distributions to make the jump to a Mate GTK3 implementation so that we could all roll together with that. So Ubuntu, well, in fact, Debian Unstable is actually the first to benefit. So Debian Unstable got the full mm. Mate 1.16 mm-hmm. built against GTK3 okay. uh, at the weekend. It landed in um, Ubuntu 16.10 archives on Monday, and it's uh, you know it's in Fedora, uh, uh, what will be Fedora 25. So those are three major distributions that are doing that. And then you've also got the um, the hot and sexy new uh, independent distros like Solus, who when they go shopping for an alternative desktop environment. Uh, spot that Mate is now GTK3 and it's using modern technologies and it's underpinning. Why does that matter to me, Wimpy, as a as Fedora or as Solus or as why would why do I care if it's GTK3 versus GTK2? Well, the main reason that you want GTK3 um, is because it's the gateway to uh, even more newer technologies. So things like High DPI right. and eventually things like um, Wayland and Mia. And isn't but, that sort of maybe the most important thing to note is high DPI and Wayland are not possible otherwise? I mean, how else can you accomplish it with GTK2? Is there any possibility? Not really. I mean, you can do font scaling and things, but sure, generally yes. speaking, no, it's it's not really there in GTK2. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's a whole, whole raft of other reasons, but it's not just GTK3. You know, along the way, it's all the other technologies that have since 
been phased out or are being phased out that Marte has been adopting in order to keep it current and relevant so that it moves with the latest technologies. So, you know, Marte looks like GNOME 2 always did, even now with the GTK3 implementation. It, in my opinion, it looks a little bit more polished because we've got some some niceties from gtk3 that Mm -hmm. weren't there in gtk2 but it looks and works exactly like it did with gtk2 um and that's quite um a a nifty achievement Mm -hmm. i think because in some what people miss is that the mate team are preserving our desktop cultural heritage by Uh. you know sticking with this project Mm. it's not particularly glamorous to continually maintain Mm a project that is effectively complete you know because the the objective of the project has been completed we're just making sure it continues to work and so it continues to that's an, uh, okay so that's interesting so are you saying in in a sense they um by keeping by be keep by keeping mate relevant in terms of like the gtk by moving gtk3 supporting things like wayland and high dpi but keeping the basic workflow the same it's sort of the it's it sort of is the best way to ke- to pay respect and tribute and keep that workflow and that paradigm alive it's not to enshrine it in like glass and never change it it's a living a living document right keep it going keep it yeah. living yeah exactly yeah it's huh. a it's a live and the thing is is that that paradigm that gnome 2 used it is built on good design principles that still stand today. There are different ways that you can interact with computing devices and the way that that um, user interaction works in GNOME 2 and now Mate is well tested, um, well thought and has years of work behind it. So it, it doesn't mean that it, should be thrown out just because it's an old idea. So what about after what ab- all, we're using operating systems that are based on old ideas that <laughs> right. people came up with in the sixties and seventies. Sure. So what just about because it's an old idea doesn't mean it's a bad idea. I when I think the other thing I think of when I think of GNOME two and Mate is I think of uh, low resources, low memory footprint, low CPU overhead, low GPU requirements. Is there a way to is there a way to honor that and make it still appealing to like low end devices like Raspberry Pis? Um, but still keep it yeah. modern with GTK3 and those things? That's a little more challenging now. There's some additional memory overhead with using GTK3 as opposed to GTK2. Uh, certainly, it's uh, targeting the Raspberry Pi 3 is still um, uh, possible. That's not an issue. But uh, in terms of Ubuntu Mate, which um, has got a lot of additional scaffolding around it because it's got you know full accessibility stack, and a whole load of other bits and pieces in the in the 1704 cycle i'm going to put some thought into how we can retain the rich feature set but rein in some of that um excess in memory consumption but without compromising the um the user experience so that's going to be a goal for 1704 interesting and 1610 is what uh next week if everything goes two days, two, two days from now, two days, oh, Th- the thirteenth, yeah. Oh, okay. Wow, I should, uh, yep. I should get it installed and start uh, kicking the tires yep. and see how it goes. If you, um, if you go to the uh, the CD image, are you familiar with cdimage.ubuntu.com? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you can get the daily live from there. If you get the Ubuntu Mate daily live, which is built today, that is our release candidate. And I'm really hoping that that won't change, that that is the Ooh. version that will be the final version. I am downloading it right now. Very cool. Yeah, I uh, I have been looking forward to trying out um, the sixteen ten release because I've I usually jump in earlier, but this time I decided since there wasn't like a feature that I was just freaking out about, I would wait till the release candidate stage. So I'm, exactly. I'm ready to jump in. I will also toss a link in the show notes. Uh, so there we go. Well, uh, interesting, Wimpy, and so. Um, I guess kind of zooming out a few levels and kind of getting back to an overall theme that we've had this episode, uh, this to me seems like we've recently had a huge burst, even even more so in the last few years, but really just honestly, if you look at the last six to seven, eight months, it feels like there's been a massive burst in development in Mate, which is benefiting a lot of distros. Uh, you mentioned Fedora, but also uh, I think it's obvious that it's going to, it's going to, it's going to benefit Ubuntu Mate as well. And so there's been yeah. work that's getting done, and I think part of it is is probably thanks to a form of crowdfunding that you've been doing over at the Ubuntu Mate project, like you mentioned earlier, a blending of crowdfunding, and and I I gather you're devoting some of this funding towards the development, and I'm kind of curious, and if you could kind of just recap how that works for the audience, and 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 sure. really like why not why not just hire somebody. Over at why not take some of these funds you're raising and just hire somebody to sit there and work on this stuff full time for you? Well, you can you can do the you know do that. You can hire people, um, and that is still uh, a Patreon goal for Ubuntu Mate. If we get to a p- specific funding level, mm. we'll, we'll have somebody work full time on it. That, cool. That's an, an aspiration. But in getting there, I've actually found that you can get an awful lot of good momentum by breaking down. Uh, small projects and handing off small projects to individuals and funding these discrete pockets of work. And during the um, 1610 development cycle, so that's been running uh, from basically the beginning of May until the end of October, the Ubuntu Mate um, crowdfunding has paid out um, about $6,200 to open source developers to work specifically on Mate desktop and Ubuntu Mate projects. And that has made a massive difference to the project momentum because I was originally planning to complete this transition to GTK3 at the end of the 1704 cycle. End of 1704? at the end of 1704, which is in June next year. So you're a little ahead of schedule. <laughs> we're six months ahead of schedule. Wow. Yeah. So we, I planned that for the, for a year, we would just do that transition to GTK three and all the other bits that uh, we needed to port to GTK three. But all of that work has been done and all of it has been funded from the investment that the Ubuntu Mate, um, project gets and also ike notice i'm using the word investment i read what you wrote about that and i've changed all the language i use on the ubuntu mate website and what i say to say investment rather mm. than donate which is an in- a little hat tip to ike and some sensible thinking that he that uh, is really smart he really shared smart, yeah. yeah that's that because is, it, it really is an investment it is and it's not technically a donation because it's not tax deductible so that's no. a that's a that's a really good uh, that's a really good use of the of the word mm-hmm. Hmm. And it hasn't been an investment, hasn't it? Because now, look, now it's uh, that's a huge leap ahead yeah. in the schedule there. Yeah, 
So um, what we're what we're going to focus on now for Ubuntu Mate specifically in the seventeen oh four cycle, Ubuntu Mate is just going to be about um, bug fixes, refinement, and polish. Not going to concentrate on bringing in new features and expanding the scope of the project. Just make what we we've achieved in this sixteen ten cycle move into GTK three more reliable, more robust, more stable, and true to the origins of the um, of the project. So that's that's what seventeen oh four is going to be. So a bit of a yawner by comparison, but I think important work that we are now afforded the time to do, and. Um, uh, I've been setting up with uh, some of the core Mate developers. We're going to do some uh, bounty source type uh, funding that's, that's to cool. expand the scope of this, you know, um, project sponsorship. Um, and I'm hoping that we'll be able to invest even more money in um, independent developers and open source developers that are interested in working on Mate and Ubuntu Mate over the next six months. See, that puts you in a very cool place where it's like, you know, at least some of your funding comes from this community Patreon angle, and then you kind of get to help shepherd it, and then through Bounty Source or other things, then go kind of give back to the community in a way where, you know, the whole thing is self-supporting yeah. and, and growing. So and. And when when I you know post our monthly summaries, I explain who the developers are that have received money, how much they've received, uh, what they worked on, and I also put their um, distro affiliation. And you'll notice in there that there are people from Debian, people from Fedora, people from OpenSUSE, um, and uh, and the most recent um, open, uh, uh, let's say. Um, uh, open content creator that has been rewarded through that program is uh, Rotten, uh, who's done some work for hey. us just recently. Nice. And That's great. Give... Also from Jupiter Broadcasting. Yeah, and I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll I'll give you an insight. What Rotten's been working on is uh, retouching some image assets, which are our first baby steps to um, high DPI support. That's awesome. That is, oh man, good man, Rotten. Good, or Mister Mister Tanel. Mister Tanel. I now call him. <laughs> Uh, so that's wimpy. That's, that's a huge, that's a huge amount of progress. And I say good on you for taking 1704 release cycle and tightening it up because let's be honest, the, the expectation with the, with a, with the Ubuntu Mate, uh, distribution isn't going to be uh rapid, crazy revolutionary change every single release. There's going to be a certain point where people just want something that works really well to be refined and refined and refined. And I, I look forward to the process and, and watching that. So I'm, Obviously, going to have to try it at 1610. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get off of 1610 completely, I know RMH, you had something I wanted to get to, but I think I'll take it in the post show because uh, we're running long. Uh, but I did want to put a feeler out there, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hoping you guys can help set my expectation for Unity 8 on 1610 because I know one of the headline features is Unity 8 will be available as an optional session. And I'm kind of curious how I should set my expectations during the review process. I have a feeling I should set them low, but I also don't want to just set them so low that anything's fine. Like, I don't know where this should be at, so uh, I would love Working to hear... Wi-Fi. I would love to hear both Popey and Wimpy's thoughts and anybody else's thoughts on it. Popey, can I start with you and say, about, what do you know about this, and have you tried it, and what do you think I should set my expectations towards? I haven't tried it yet. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, I'm only running 16.04 here. So for anyone who wants to try the Unity 8 session, it'll be an option in 16.10, not the default. Obviously. Now, do I have to have Intel hardware for it to work? 
Uh, Intel or the Nouveau video driver. Oh, okay. Nvidia. Um, I've not tried AMD because I haven't touched AMD for years. Yeah, same. Um, it also works in KVM, QEMU. Oh, and nice. VMware Fusion. I think, I don't think it works in VirtualBox, uh, but it works in KVM, it, QEMU. It doesn't work in VirtualBox or with the Nvidia proprietary drivers yet, but right. I have seen that people are actively working on that, huh. uh, right now. Right. So, so, in terms of expectations and like apps um, too, what do you think? Like include like right, the, right. the apps I might try. Uh, so I think the default is just going to be this, pretty much the same apps that are available on the phone. The default apps, okay, so okay. the same the Ubuntu web browser, calendar clock, calculator terminal, mm, those kind of no. like the basic apps. No, Go ahead, not that you? much. Oh, um, really? Yeah, it's it, it's the basic session is what you're going to get so i'm i'm testing at the moment the the 1610 image behind me and nice. the 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 pre the pre-installed apps that you'll have are the settings the browser and uh the terminal and one other thing i can't remember without moving across the office and looking um so i'm gonna have fairly, a launcher right i'm gonna have a launcher fairly fairly oh yeah and the launcher so fairly minimal um, but um, I'm expecting that you'll find that there'll be some documentation coming along fairly soon after the release that will explain to how to install more of hmm. the Unity 8 apps and what have you. I'm wondering, uh, the- should should I uh, – can I, can I expect my X app store called XMIR be a thing that's functional? Yeah, so but you you'll need to install some things. Um so there's um a technology called Libertine. Okay. I'm you'll need to install okay. Libertine and Libertine Scope or Scope Libertine, I forget which way around the, the, the name of the package is. Once you've installed that yeah, through the Libertine manager which will appear in the um app launcher, you can create a container um and it does that for you. You just give it a name. And once you've created your container, you can then uh, install Debs into that container through a UI. So if you know that you want HexChat, you just type in when it says what do you want to install, you just type HexChat in, hit enter. It installs that into the container and adds an icon to your desktop um, apps scope. And you'll be able to launch HexChat and that will open. And for example, today I've installed uh, Chromium just fine and HexChat and LibreOffice and all of those sorts of things. So f- the me- the functions to do that stuff exist. And through Libertine, you can also enable third-party repositories and PPAs. So mm. I haven't tested this yet, but I was going to have a go uh, a bit later is you know getting things like Google Chrome and Steam running. Um, to see if I can get those going up inside Xmere. But so far, everything I've tried works uh, just fine. And that's what I'm using to sort of get my traditional desktop applications. So what is what exactly is Libertine I mean, specifically? Libertine um, itself is a container? Is it a cheroot? Is it... It's an, a Lex, it creates LexD containers and then launches those applications and binds them to Xmere. Sounds like a snap. Mm, almost. <laughs> Not quite. Right, so okay. you can create many you can create many containers. So you could create one container for each application or you could create one container and install lots of different applications inside it. Oh, okay. 
So it's sort of like a you know, a, a bottle in a sense, like a like, yeah, 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 and, yeah, and an yeah. interface then to help bind it to the host and, system. Yeah, yeah, and then okay. of course you've got snap snaps as well because underneath it's just Ubuntu sixteen ten, so you can snap install bits and pieces. So if there are snaps out there that are using um, Mia, then you know they will work. Hmm. Interesting, wow. and I I think I'm going to kick the tires, but I suspect it probably won't be the main driver for me. I'll, no, I, I, this this is the first steps. It's not sure. by any means the full Unity eight desktop experience. So that means that sixteen ten though is shipping with X and Mir. So they're both in there, and they're both usable if you have an open source yep. driver. Yep. Hey, that's cool. Yeah. So boy, isn't that interesting? Fedora's got Wayland in twenty five and. 1610 has got Mir, and I don't – it's not like the two were, like, competing with each other. It's just sort of how it worked out. It's just out. how it worked out, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to compare them side by side. Oh, yes, I love that idea. We should totally try it Try it out. Just see. And because we have a couple of Intel rigs around here with the mm-hmm. open source driver. And I think I think that Bonobo right there is, like, in the sweet spot with the Novu driver. Ooh. So that might be a way to go. Well, I, I'll, uh, I'll report back and uh, – and uh, and see how it goes. Right, we'll see. That'll be the that'll be part of the review, but not the review. I suspect. Now, uh, before we go any further, I do want to play the interview that we had for you, and, and I want to mention Linux Academy for making the rest of the show possible. Go to linuxacademy.com/slash/unplugged. Go there to learn about a platform built by Linux enthusiasts, educators, and developers that came together and said, "Let's help spread Linux." Linuxacademy.com/slash/unplugged is where you go to support this show. And now, with a new seven-day free trial. Oh, woo! Oh boy, a seven-day free trial, which means no risk. Get in there, try. It out. Go Google be your, addicted. Go wrap your head around something. They got these quick starts too. If you don't have a lot of time, you can go deep dive into something. And of course, if you ever get stuck, instructor mentoring is available. And I love their video courses because not only are they self-paced, in-depth courses, but you can download and take their comprehensive study guides and bring them with you. And they have everything. It's like you know, you prefer the long-form articles. You prefer videos. They have everything you might need. And the community is growing like crazy, stacked full of Jupiter Broadcasting members. And speaking of the community, they now have external profiles. This is big because not only is Linux Academy going up in stature, so just linking to Linux Academy looks good on your resume, but now you can actually visually demonstrate in a public way what you've accomplished, which is great if you have a current employer that's helping you with your training. Yep. Or you need to prove that you've got the skills for that new promotion. This is brilliant. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged is where you go and check out their video they have posted over there too. Whether you're an experienced sysadmin or new to the world of Linux, Azure and AWS, OpenStack and DevOps, a sharp skill skill set is an absolute necessity to succeed. Meet Linux Academy, an online Linux and cloud training platform that uses self-paced video courses and hands-on labs to give you real-world experience for a wide range of skills. Train for your certification, learn the latest DevOps tools, and grow your skill set to do better work. Linux Academy is not just a video library. No, it's not. scenario-based server labs and quiz system allow you to learn hands-on. We also have full-time human instructors who answer questions and help you earn that certification or promotion at work. We add new training every week, so you'll always be up to date on the latest tech. Sysadmins of every experience level use Linux Academy to stay on the bleeding edge of the Linux ecosystem. You should, too. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged now with a seven-day free trial. And by the way, if you're going to be at Compute Midwest, go say hi to Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. And a big un-thank you 
to my neighbor for mowing the lawn right in the middle of an ad read. This is lup time. Everyone knows that. <laughs> I mean, and you know what's crazy, too, is you I need think— like an outside the studio, like an on-air light. Yeah, right? It wouldn't do anything, but it'd be very cool. Now, answer me this. Are you not sitting inside a soundproof insulated room? Yes, is there I not, absolutely is, am. Is, like, there, is this the world's loudest lawnmower? <laughs> this is an intense amount of soundproofing in here. <laughs> there is an intense amount. All right. So I don't, that's that's neither here nor there. We need to move on. I could do a whole podcast on uh, why lawnmowers are the evil thing ever. But I wanted to talk about uh, our friend Andy from InnoCybe. Wes and I had a chat uh, had a chat to chance with Andy. And InnoCybe is a pure play open daylight partner. They're going all in on they open seem daylight. Like one of the leaders. Yeah. And their story is a fascinating one. And I have a couple of clips from the interview. I want to start with how by they by by contributing upstream to open daylight, by closing bugs, by fixing little things here, by submitting patches, they ended up getting leads and they ended up getting contracts and making money. And I thought that was sort of a fascinating question or a fascinating answer to the question that we often ask. How do you make money with something that's free? How do you make money with open source? And so this is a little insight into that. You know, people typically will find out, you know, about Inasai because they see that uh, uh, they see our names on the on the uh, committers lists of the different projects. And then they if they need uh, help with an ODL project, then then they typically call us. Um, and so I would say that now people have definitely gone beyond the POC stage, the proof of concept stage, and they're deploying real things in production. And that's why we help them do that with our platform, get them to a commercial grade type of production deployment really quickly. So that's a, boy, that's a really interesting thing there. So you're you're picking up some customers because they're seeing the commits and they're seeing the names on the commits and they're saying, well, look at this work they're doing here. I want to I want to work with them. I want to pick their brains. And then that is, that's one of the ways the business relationship gets established. That's exactly right. I mean, ODL is is similar to uh, you know a, a other large open source projects in that uh, it's very powerful and flexible um, and there's a lot of things you can do with it. And then one of the negative things of that is it's really powerful and flexible and, and there's a lot you can do with it so you can get yourself in trouble pretty quickly um, and so we help people get out you know stay out of trouble right and and kind of stay between the guardrails of what works what doesn't work what project is going to be useful for their, for their specific use case and we we're sort of their their lifeline into odl so he's so they're able to sort of make money around this open platform from a contributing standpoint and uh i wondered then like, once that transforms into a client like what what is really their main value? And you were kind of getting at this question too when we were there. You're like, how do you add value since open daylight's an open platform? The documentation's Anyone all out use there. It. Anyone can use it. Why do you need to pay contractors, third party companies? Yeah, why am I hiring you? And uh, this is this is probably true for all major open source projects. Right. His answer. I thought this was a good one. Uh, great question. So uh, I'd say one thing that's it's really common is um, because it's open source and it's sort of uh, enticingly easy to get started, um, you can start down a wrong path and not necessarily wrong path, but it's just that what you're creating might be great for a lab environment, but to, you need to, to understand how to really scale. It yeah, to, to, for scaling and, and getting into production and making it make sure it's a very robust solution right. that is not going to uh, fail in corner cases, that sort of thing. That that requires a different approach, mm-hmm. right? And and so when you're looking at things from a you know professional quality type of thing, then uh, that's often where we see uh, that if we can get involved sooner, it's better mm-hmm. uh, to get to shorten the path to, to production quality. 
it was nice of Andy to chat with us and get in a, kind of an insight in how a company can make a decent living by supporting an open source project. Which then goes, you know, right back and supports that platform. The more people that are making money on it, right, the healthier feature it'll have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a different there's a lot of different ways and somehow there's a lot of different ways to crack this particular egg, and I just realized that they have eggs on there. <laughs> right. And then I just sort of realized why they have – well, I was trying to – like as I said, I was like, why do they have a cracked egg on their – ah, because the omelet reference. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to make an omelet between Patreon, direct funding, Bitcoin, and commercial contracts and sponsorships. And somehow by the time we get to the end of this episode, we – We've covered them all. We had a theme. We ended up with a freaking theme on the Unplugged show that was totally unplanned but yet somehow – Magically unplanned, worked out. Unplugged. Yes. <laughs> That'd be, wow. That's actually, that could be like our slogan, Wes. Yeah, right? Let's go with that. <laughs> well, so thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Unplugged program. Thank you to Andy for coming on. Thank you to Ike for letting us uh, chat in the cone of silence. Sorry that didn't make it into the rest of the show for everybody else. And of course, thank you to Mr. Wimpy for chatting with us and for Mr. Popey for letting me pick his brain today. I thought that was good. It's good to see him again. I hadn't been talked to him. And to the, the rest just, of our wonderful mumble just room. Just one of those things. Love those guys Love so those much guys. in that mumble room. All Thank of them. you, guys. All of them. Let's chat more, guys. Yes. Let's do it more. Let's Come have a, back hey, maybe next week. Let's. We could even have a post show. <gasps> oh, that's a great Ooh, idea. Yes, let's try doing it. Okay, everybody. Thanks for tuning this week's episode of the Unplugged Program. See you next week. And don't forget to t- turn in live at TV. JBTitles.com. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. That was a lot of fun. Mumble Room, I love you. You're fantastic. Now, I wanted to go to RMH, though, because he had something during the show that I wanted to punt to the post show. So I forgot what your point was, sir, but the floor is yours. Yeah, thanks. So basically, what I was saying is that there are a lot of people in the service industry, like Noah, and I'm getting started with my own enterprise. And we are. Or uh, just uh, using the, this open source software mainly because uh, it's free for the customer, so no licensing stuff, and uh, we uh, get uh, regular updates and things like that. And in my uh, business plan, I uh, actually have uh, uh, 10% of my uh, income dedicated to giving back to the community, whatever I'm using most or deploying most uh, for that month. Uh, I try to give back uh, what I earned. And I think it's pretty important uh, that we who use the software that gets created for free for us, uh, for use, uh, yeah, that we give back. Yeah, that's great. That is. Good on you. We've been uh, we've been experimenting more and more here with giving back to open source. It's been a mixed bag for us. Uh, I mean, good, but... Yeah. But people usually take the code we use and then they create something that competes with us. So that's kind of like, well, okay. okay. But at the same time, uh, that's part and parcel, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Linux Winter Developments and Vintage GTK3 are all towards the top. Mm-hmm. I like Linux Winter Developments. I think that's kind of, that must be a reference back to Popey's uh, beer. How is that going, Popey? <laughs>
All gone. Uh-huh. Excellent work. I, I'm on my last uh, vanilla cream right now. So there you go. Mm. Good on you, gentlemen, for both uh, both of you, both of you for recording double episodes and then still Ooh. making it. Thank you very much. I, that is a lot. Podcasting machine. I don't think we'll be around next week because we're both uh, traveling. In, yeah. Y'all. Uh wow! Already? No, not traveling next week. What's next week? That's the yeah. sprint. Oh, it we is. I thought that was in, in Netherlands. Okay. Oh, that is. Yep. Ah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So uh, well, we'll miss you. Yeah, we will. But I kind of love to know how that. Yeah. Kind of love to know how that goes. And aren't you guys having some press there this time, or some bloggers, or something? So there might actually be coverage during the event. Is that right? There's going to be some community people invited, and um, we encourage them to blog about their experience and talk Good. about stuff. There's Great. someone from the elementary project with some KDE people and, uh, yeah, various people going. Excellent. Be sure to bring your uh, your score on the 40-yard dash. Is that <laughs> is that the first time you guys have done that? No. Uh, we had one in Heidelberg a couple of months ago. Right. So that was at the snap one? July. Yeah. And this is this is another snap one, snappy sprint. I mean, but there's going to be a whole load. But of specifically, people, people that are in the press or, or like in blogs are going to be there, like not just. No, I don't. I don't oh, think okay. we've got journalists, but people, okay. we we're encouraging those people who are there to, to blog. Share oh, okay, their good. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I thought I thought the stuff that came out of the uh, snap sprint was like the most information I'd ever seen out of a out of a of an event like that, and it I was. It was a super good one for that to happen because it was a bunch of different projects coming together to work on Snap packages. So it seemed like that's really an inflection point for the community there. Mm-hmm. And you know, some some companies are, are are very clever. They intentionally bring like favored bloggers along to blog about it, so that way they get great coverage. And I I kind of thought maybe you guys are going that direction, but I also I kind of like the idea of just saying. Hey, no, just the people that attend. Please do blog about it. Please share what you've done here because the real in the trenches it, view. It does feel like. Uh, it, to some people, they probably don't even know that this isn't the like the second time you've ever done this. I think some people don't know that you guys get together and do this from time to time at all. I mean, it's not the second yeah. one you've ever done, right? It's they have no. We do sprints all the time. Exactly. There's like f- I think there's five in a row in that one venue. Right. Um. There's there's one right now, and then we're so joining do next you see, week and so on. Do you see why that is an important thing for the general Linux user base to? to know that even happens because it shows an output of Canonical's money and resources to further development of their platform and it brings different people together. Like, that seems like something that I would be bragging about a lot more. Right. Yeah, I, I realize it's to uh, further your own goals and to you know work on stuff, but at the same time, uh, it seems like a perfect opportunity to brag about some of the progress and work that's being done and the outreach that happens. So I don't understand right. why it doesn't get better coverage. So, I mean, it, it, it can be quite intense. There's a whole load of sessions over the week. We schedule yeah, sure, sure. like tightly packed one hour to two hour sessions throughout the week. It's, and it's, it's quite an intense amount of work that gets done. And then that gets decompressed at the end of the week and some announcements come out of that. Maybe some press comes out of it. We rely on the people coming to, to blog about it because people have different perspectives and people join different sessions. So, you know, I might be in one session about, um, snap upstream related stuff and then Martin will be in something related to desktop apps. And so oh. if we both blogged about it, you'd get a different perspective from either of us, which is why we encourage everyone who goes to blog about it because mm-hmm. you get multiple perspectives mm-hmm. with yeah. each person coming from their own project yeah. as well. I would, although I would argue, I mean, that's absolutely the way to do it. Do it but I, uh, to do that, but I would argue that it's not enough because 
really, the only time that gets any reasonable dissemination is if a larger outlet then picks up that developer's blog and covers it on their medium. And right, but it depends. It depends how interesting that content is. If it was like, sure, yeah, you know, yeah, we, yeah. we sat in a room and, right. and figured out some API or something. Nobody gives a toss about that. <laughs> but you know, unless you, unless it's like inside baseball, it's not, it's, it's not interesting unless, yeah. you know, there's some big decision. Like yeah. maybe if there was an upstream there who said, okay, we're fully committing to this mm. and we're going to deliver all of our apps but, or yeah, something. Yeah, for like sure. That. Although I kind of, I kind of still disagree because you like, uh, you know, you look at the Open Daylight Summit, that was pretty much just what you described, and uh, we've still gotten like three-plus weeks of content out of it, and uh, they got quite a bit of exposure out of it because uh, if, you know, uh, I, I like for me, I wouldn't be the one going to the sprint event. So, I'll, But if I, if, if I were going to the sprint event to cover the development, I would build a story right, around the, story the people that the... are there and the work that's getting done, not the, not the decisions that were made. So I think it just depends on the outlet. Right. I mean, I know that's, but that's, you got work to do. I guess my point is, it's just, there's a lot of good damn work getting done and it's not getting enough attention. <laughs> exactly. And I just wish we could solve that problem. There's also not very many popular developers that have blogs in the sense of like, you know, a big time developer who also keeps track of stuff they do on a blog. And most of the time they maybe make one blog a year or something like mm. that. And so yeah. no one's paying attention to it. So there's really <clears> no, there's no traction. So yeah, they might blog about it, but if the vast majority of people aren't looking then it doesn't really matter because we you, if they if canonical just did it where every they they just asked every blogger to do it and if they did submit like an email and then they just made an aggregate page like here's all the blogs about it check them out that yeah. would be good. like planet.ubuntu.com for example that's well, where you can right, find but it. But that's for, most people don't even use that yeah i i mean your your best bet is softpedia picks it up or chris notices it and things like that i mean that's really kind of your best bet and the only reason I, I think I get a little righteous, just like a, like five percent righteous about it, is when I when I when I get a whiff of an injustice, I start to get a little worked up. And so the injustice that I see here is, um, it, the perfect lens to look at this is the just the absolute talking points bullshit that came out after snap packages were announced. People couldn't get right. the ter- first right. of all, people that weren't involved with it couldn't get the terminology right. They attacked Canonical for not working with the community. They just all of the typical talking points that roll out when a canonical initiative is announced. And I, I, I honestly feel like the work that gets done at some of these events would would be a would, would be a would be a show me. So it would be a it would be a it would be a visceral demonstration that goes against that narrative. Right. And it's like even if you don't agree with this, like we're, the people are doing real work and there's momentum and a community behind it. I'll speak to our PR people, Chris. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. (laughs) Oh, well, the lawnmower guy's here, so that means we're, I think, we're all done. We'll go with Linux winter developments, I guess.